Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Hey, good morning, Mercy family. Good morning. Good morning. What a big day for us. Uh, Good morning, Providence Road. Good morning, Mercy Northeast. And for the first time ever, let's celebrate and say good morning. Happy launch day to Mercy Union County. Praise God. Up and going. So awesome, man. I want to thank so many of you on that core team. It's been like five years in the making in many ways, and we are celebrating with you. If you're new with us, let me welcome you, kind of catch you up, welcome you in. Today, uh, we're one church in three locations, and today we are celebrating Mercy's eighth birthday. We're eight years old today. Praise God. That's right. We are a third grader now, so it's pretty exciting, y'all. We're going to get into some trouble, I'm pretty sure. Um, Listen, I just... Sometimes we take that kind of stuff for granted, um, and I thought about it this week. Courtney, my wife, um, she, we were meeting somebody. She met somebody out in the soccer field who was familiar with church and church planting, but didn't know our story or anything like that, and so they're talking, and you know, you get in a conversation. It's like, how long have you been in Charlotte? Well, we came eight years ago. Oh, what'd you come to do? What brought you to Charlotte? Oh, we came to plant a church, and the response back was, oh, that's cool. Does it still exist? Kind of thing, and it's like, this is... You know, we, we take it for granted that, um, that the Lord is, and I'm just looking, I'm going, man, the Lord has done such amazing things. I'm so thankful we get to celebrate another birthday together. Um, we're theming our birthday launch day because we're launching out, taking a bold step of faith, launching into the mission God has for us as a church. This isn't just launching a new campus or some new worship gatherings. It's the launch of a new season for Mercy Church. Look, we spent the first half of the year, if you were with us, the whole first half of the year was us in a season of prayer, and it was kind of marked by the prayer out of 1 Samuel 3.10, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Just gave our plans to the Lord, speak, Lord, your servants are listening, and now what we're doing is taking the step of faith we believe God has called us to as a church, a step to move for the mission. So we started, we added some services and a campus, and Not only that, man, a whole lot of y'all have jumped off the sidelines and gotten into the game and are now serving somewhere here at Mercy Church. And I want to praise God for you. In fact, I want to take a second in all of our campuses uh, and just let your church family thank you for serving. So here's the deal. If you are already on one of our ministry teams, one of our teams here on Sunday morning, uh, I want to ask you in just a second, I'm going to ask you to stand up so our church family can thank you. But also, I know many of you signed up and just beginning serving, and this is like your first week serving, and we want to thank you for the step you're taking. So if you've been on a team or you joined up and you're brand new today and just getting started, would you stand up, all three campuses, and just let your church family say thanks real quick? Go ahead. Don't be shy. I'm standing. You can stand and join us. Yeah. Praise God for you. All right. All right, man. And listen, if you're new to Mercy, like I said, welcome. We are glad you're here. No matter where you are in your walk with God, you'll hear us say a lot. Man, we help people. Our goal is to help people take their next steps in following Jesus. So even if this is like first Sunday at church, heard about 
that just last week and the week before, some people's first time ever at church, whether that's you and you're brand new to Christianity, don't believe yet, you're just investigating, or you've been walking with Jesus for a long, long time. We believe everybody has a next step uh, that God is calling us to take, and we hope we can help you take it. Uh, this is a little bit longer sermon introduction than normal. It's a pretty big day for us, so thanks for the grace. I do want to tell you way, where we are going from here in our sermons for the rest of the year. So give me just a second, uh, and then we'll get into today's passage. Next week, I'm going to interrupt our sermon series through Ephesians for a six-week series, okay? And the six-week series is going to be called, It's Hard to Believe. This is a series of sermons we're going to address some of the common objections people have to believing in the Christian faith. The goal here is to partner with you and to equip you as you have conversations with non-Christians out in the world about your faith. So when things like gender identity come up in discussion, I want to equip you to feel equipped from God's word to talk about and have that discussion lovingly and thoughtfully. Or when someone says they were hurt by the church or that it's hard to believe in a book that was written so long ago. We're going to address six common objections. I think it's going to be a great series, by the way, not only to equip you, but to invite your non-Christian friends to uh, come and sit with you and maybe get a conversation going, all right? And then after that, we're right back into Ephesians, which is where we are today. So if you got your Bible, Ephesians chapter 3, that's where we're going to be. Our main focus today is actually going to be in the second half of chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. And this is Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church. It's awesome. I mean, you hear me say all the time, Bible's awesome, okay? This one's awesome, all right? God in his wisdom put this prayer here for us today, y'all, and it's powerful. See, here's what happens. The apostle Paul gets down on his knees and he prays for the Ephesian church to somehow experience the power of, of the faith they already profess. Like they, they have this faith. They, they have all these things that he's talking about. They have it. And yet he says, I want them to experience the power of what you've given them. God, would you bring the power? That's his prayer. And it's my prayer for us today. Um, so here's what I want to do. Maybe to get our hearts kind of in the right, in our heads, in the right posture of just humbling ourselves before the word of God. Would you stand as I read this prayer? Uh, That's all three campuses. Let's stand together as I read this prayer over you. This is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit. And that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love. Man, I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all we can ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. This is God's word. You can be seated. Y'all, we need this prayer. We need this prayer. 
And really the prayer is the main idea for today. I'm going to give you the main idea in a sentence, but all I'm trying to do is summarize how we can pray this prayer. But if you want the full text of the main idea, I just read it to you. Okay. It's this prayer, but here it is. If you're writing down, taking notes, what's the main idea for today? It's a prayer that we pray back to God. Simply God, let us experience the power of the faith we profess. God, would you let us experience the power of the faith we profess? Now, right out of the gate, I want to acknowledge a couple of groups uh, that I feel like I need to address. See, God, in his vast, infinite wisdom, he gave us humans intellectual reasoning, and he gave us emotions. And because of a lot of historical things that I don't have time to get into, a lot of times those two things are separated in the church world. All right? So if you come in here with a church background, and that's a good bit of you I recognize in the South, not everybody, but a good bit of you, it's likely you come from a background that either majored on intellectual reasoning or majored on emotional experience, all right? And it's kind of like, in our church, sometimes it's like it's the Wizard of Oz. You got like the Tin Man and the Scarecrow. If I only had a brain, if I only had a heart, walking around together, you know what I mean? But here's the deal. Because of sin and fear, these camps often look at each other skeptically. But the reality is God never intended for those two, for the head and the heart to be separated. And today in Paul's prayer, you're going to see a prayer for knowledge and experience. I'll go ahead and warn you, if you come in from the intellectual side, this is probably going to be uncomfortable for you. And that is good. If you are always comfortable in church, something is very wrong. All right? So get used to being a little bit uncomfortable if you're going to be around here. Now, on the other side, though, my Pentecostal brothers and sisters, I know you're thinking, finally, let's go, man. Bring the fire, you know? I just want to remind you that this prayer comes on the heels of two and a half of the richest theological chapters in all of Scripture. So we're not abandoning intellectual reasoning today. We're building on it. And those of you with no church background, well, you're probably going to have the easiest time out of all of us, so congratulations, okay? But look, the context of our passage is important. For two and a half chapters, we've been learning about who we are in Christ. All theology, not a whole lot of action steps, just believe. But then chapter four, which begins at the end, so you got verse 21 of our chapter today, and then it's chapter four, verse one. It begins almost immediately with, all right, I urge you to walk, do. And the next few chapters are all about living it out. But knowing comes first. And this is big, so while we say we get the gospel at the center of all we do around here, we walk from who we are in Christ. We live our lives in the security of what Christ has done for us, not to earn acceptance and security with God. All right, so who we are comes first. God changes us, but we do live out our faith though. God changes us and we live it out. Our priorities, our worldview, everything. I mean, what we think about and how we live out marriage and work and parenting and community, really everything in our lives changes. That's Ephesians 4 through 6. That's where we're going to go. But in between all this doing and all this knowing, Paul drops this prayer and he prays for God to change the church before he calls them to go change the world. Now, I think the reason our lives don't change, we don't impact the world around us is we miss that critical bridge between knowing our theology and living for God. And it's experiencing the bridge is experiencing the power of God. Our faith just is not simply a set of facts to acknowledge. It's the invitation into a relationship with the God that created the universe. And when a person encounters the fullness of that God, it should change everything about us. 
It should move us like nothing else does. Not just intellectually or just emotionally, but head and heart, the whole person in such a way that our lives are permanently different than before. And y'all, I, I confess, this is difficult to explain today. In fact, as we'll just kind of briefly touch on the first part of chapter three, Paul talks about the gospel as a mystery. It's difficult to explain, but when we do experience the power of our faith, we will change. That's what Paul prays here. In fact, I want to give you the outline kind of up front, okay, of how this prayer develops. There are three parts to it. Here's the deal. When the church experiences the power of the faith it professes, Paul talks about three things. First, he says individual lives are going to be transformed by the fullness of God. That's verses 14 through 19. That'll take the bulk of our time. But then in verse 20, he's going to say the church is going to start praying bigger prayers. And we need to pray bigger prayers. And then verse 21, he says the glory of God will resound into the church of tomorrow, which is awesome. So we'll spend most of our time in verses 14 through 19. We'll build towards those last two verses. All right, get into it. Verse 14, by the way, if you're new to mercy, this is kind of how we roll most of the time in our sermons. We just take a passage of scripture, work our way through it. The sermons that are coming up, that series is going to be a little bit of a different thing than normal, but normally we just work our way through a single passage of scripture. That's what we're doing today with Ephesians 3. So verse 14, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. This is the second time in chapter 3, Paul says, for this reason. Chapter 3, if you've got your Bible open, you go back up a little bit, you'll see he says, for this reason. Right? He actually is going to say it in other chapters too. But in chapter 3, he says, for this reason. Then there's a little dash in your Bible. And Paul is, this is how you know he's a preacher. Paul chases a rabbit trail for like 12 verses, okay? And he just goes on a thought. He's like, for this reason. But wait, wait, I need to make sure you know something first. In the first 12 verses is this detour to make sure that they know that God is the one that put him on assignment to tell them, that they are, that they would remember that it is a miracle that a bunch of Gentiles have been brought into the people of God. Like when, I need you to know, it's amazing. And that's what he just said in chapter two. Pastor Brian Loritz talked about that last weekend. And Paul's like, he can't get over it. He was going to move on. But he's like, nope, I need 12 more verses just to remind you of this, that it's a miracle. And in fact, verse 12 of chapter three, he says, because of that, listen, in him, in Jesus, we have, you have, I have, we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Access where? Hebrews is going to call it the throne room of grace. Access to God through faith in Christ. Paul's about to pray a really big prayer for them. And he says, you have the same access and boldness to pray these same kind of prayers. And I need you to know it because when you leave today, I want you to pray boldly. I want you to pray for a gospel awakening in your own life that's carried into your family, carried to your apartment complex, to your neighborhood, to our community, and to the far ends of the earth, to Pakistan and Kabul and Mumbai and Pyongyang. You have access through faith in Christ to go to the one that can actually make that happen. And all I'm really doing today is just trying to stir up a little bit of acknowledgement that sometimes we don't believe it, but the belief is all there for you to grab hold of and the power is there for you to grab hold of. Verse 14, he says, for this reason, I kneel, dropped my knees before the father because we are citizens of a kingdom. And so we kneel before he's our heavenly father, but we kneel before him. Those are two powerful analogies there. And then he says, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Oh, back, he's echoing chapter two again. 
Not just every Jewish family, every family. Every person is made in the image of God. They have his stamp on them. Y'all, he knows you. He knows you. What a thought. Even if no one in your family has no knowledge of God, you're the first person to ever come and sit in a church service and, or a friend told you about the gospel, that's the first time anybody in your family history has ever heard about Jesus, God knows you. He knows you. And he's put you here today in his divine plan so you can know him, so you can meet him. It's awesome. This, by the way, is what gives us such confidence and urgency as we train up and send out missionaries to unreached peoples all across the world. Y'all, this is what we do. Mercy Church, we're sending people to places where it is illegal to be a Christian and other places where the name of Jesus has never been uttered. Why? Because we believe they are made in the image of God. We believe they are in whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That includes people that have never heard the name of Jesus before. And we know that at the end of all days, every knee will bow, Philippians 2. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And God in his kindness has let us be a part of the plan. It's so amazing that he would even save us. But then he lets us be a part of the plan of his divine plan to go and help them come to know him. It's awesome. Paul prays to the God who knows and loves every person. To the God who has the power to answer his prayer. And he prays for them to experience the power of the faith they already profess. And then starting in verse 16, we're going to see what it looks like to experience God, not just know about him. What he's praying for is for Christians to experience the power of the Holy Spirit that's already with them, that God has given them. In fact, I'm going to turn verse 16 and then I'll do it with verse 17 into a promise. Just kind of read it in almost promise format for you to take, I don't know, just believe today. But look at verse 16. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be, here comes the prayer, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit. He starts by saying, would the spirit of God give them deep internal strength? Not just of the body, of the soul. Deep down in the center of their being, Holy Spirit, send power. And send the power that they already have, because they already have the Holy Spirit. The power that, let's not forget what this power is, Ephesians 1, that brought Jesus up out of the grave. This is resurrection power, and that would supply them strength. So not just a little bit to get through the day. It's the kind of power that gets people up out of the grave. Resurrection power. And that power would supply them strength for whatever comes at them. This is what's great, y'all. He could have prayed. Y'all, they had all kinds of bad circumstances. The early church was not like living it up. They had a lot of things against them and he could have listed out the circumstances that they have and said, I pray that these circumstances would ease up and these things would get easier and this would get easier. And no, he didn't do that. That's the beauty of this prayer. It's now available for all churches at all times. It's for you and I, no matter what your circumstances are. When we experience the power of our faith, we have an inner strength. Our circumstances can't shake. Do you experience that? I'm not making light of your circumstances. I'm making much of the power of God. He's powerful. And as a result of that power, you get peace. That's no small thing when half of all Americans are living right now with diagnosable levels of anxiety. Into that, God offers us his very presence and says, I'm quite literally Emmanuel, God with you. Let me, if I were to turn verse 16 into a promise for you, saying the same thing a little bit of a different way. 
Y'all listen, the Holy Spirit dwelling in me supplies soul-strengthening power. He does. Paul's praying that God would let them experience what they already have. It's already there. God, let them experience what they profess and what they know. I've heard, um, I've heard the power of God already dwelling in us, kind of uh, likened to like, um, like an inheritance that you received. So let's say you have a great aunt. Now, if you're from like the North, she's a great aunt. But listen, you're in the South now, she's an aunt, okay? Um, and you got a great aunt, and it turns out your great aunt was pretty wealthy, but she died. I'm sorry, but she's hypothetical, so you should be okay today, all right? She dies, and turns out she's very wealthy. She leaves you, because you were her favorite niece, her favorite nephew. She left you $20 million. Pretty awesome, yeah. Now, here's the deal. You are a third grade teacher, Okay? Um, you're Mercy's teacher. I just thought about that. We're a third grader. You're, you're, Mercy, you're a third grade teacher, okay? And you're living on a third grade teacher's salary. You shouldn't be. You should be paid the same thing doctors are paid, but I can't fix that this morning, okay? Just know that I believe it. I just can't fix it. You're making third grade teacher money and you got student loans. So you've been pretty much eating ramen every night, okay? You switch off the flavors, but you've been eating ramen every night and trying to pay back the loans. And now you've been given $20 million, and you never draw on it. What would we say about you, your friends around you? You're crazy. Yeah, you, are you a teacher? Like you can't be teaching others because that's crazy that you would do that, right? We would say you're crazy. If such wealth is available to you, why would you not draw on it? Do you think, think about how that could change your life and how you could use that to change so many lives around you. And yet, Christian, this is the way so many of us operate when it comes to the power of God available to us through his Holy Spirit. We walk around with immeasurable power and rarely do we think to draw from it. And Paul is praying God would just wake them up and unleash the wealth of power available to them into their lives. Verse 17, he prays also that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and firmly established in love, let me pause right there, This is a continuation of how he talked about the church in chapter two. The church in chapter two is the dwelling place of God. Now he's praying for each of them to experience individually this idea of Christ in them. And the means by which we experience the power of Christ dwelling in us, by the way, that dwelling, I pray that that's a present tense. The means by which we experience the present tense power of Christ dwelling in us is faith, also present tense. Both of them are ongoing. Christ will dwell in you now through your exercise of faith now. So when I get up in the morning to make this real to us, and why does this matter? When I get up in the morning and open up God's word and read it, that's not an academic exercise. That is a faith exercise. Say, Jesus, today I know you're with me. I know resurrection power is with me. So help me to walk with you today. Help me to honor you and give you glory with my life today. And I believe that you can. And the evidence will be that we're rooted and firmly established in love. These two images right here at the end of verse 17, rooted and firmly established. Both of them, it's two different metaphors that Jesus himself used. You think of John 15, I'm the vine, you are the branches. You think of Luke 6, build the one who builds his house on the rock. As we build ourselves, this is so good, on the firm foundation 
of Christ's love, we will then start to bear the fruit. And what kind of fruit will we bear? The love of Christ. Here's the way I would turn verse 17 into a promise. Christ's love, y'all, is strong enough to be the foundation for every part of my life. That's what he's saying there. It's strong enough. That's how strong it is. Strong enough to help you forgive. Come on. Like, let's get real with life. Some of you have been holding grudges with people for a long time. And some of those people live in your house. Or they work at the same place you work. The need for forgiveness is no light matter. And Christ's love is actually strong enough when you, through faith, choose to root yourself in his love and build your foundation on his love, it will actually produce love that will make you able to forgive someone and release that burden from your life. It'll help you fight temptation. Some of y'all have been fighting the same temptation. You've been fighting the same addiction to pornography for 20 years. Christ's love has the power to break the chains of that over you when you root yourself in that and believe that his power is actually available to you. Strong enough to be the foundation for your parenting, for your marriage, to help you be a good friend, employee, employer. As we walk by faith, rooted in Christ's love, look what he prays for next. Look what starts to happen. He's like, may this happen in you. May you be able to comprehend, verse 18, with all the saints. What is the length and width and height and depth of God's love And to know something you can never know, (laughs) to know God's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, to know something you already know and yet can never fully know, to be filled with the fullness of God that you're already filled with because you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. He's praying for them to get something they already have and yet don't have. What is going on? He's talking about the difference between professing faith and experiencing the power of God. The difference between intellectual acknowledgement and life-altering experience. Because it is entirely possible, and we see it all the time, for Christians to live out a phony, inauthentic faith. Where you just profess things, but they don't change you. Because what we know in principle, we don't experience in our hearts. And Paul's just praying God. He's not telling them to do it. saying, God, let them experience the real thing. And admittedly, like I told you, Paul talks about this as a mystery because the experience is hard to explain. It is. One of my favorite explanations of it comes from Blaise Pascal, French philosopher, explained experiencing God so well. Now, he's a, he was a philosopher, an intellectual, professing Christian. I mean, in any circles, he would qualify as an intellectual, okay? One night, uh, God in his kindness let him experience his power. That's the way he talked about it. He made a journal entry, I'm going to read to you, of when he experienced the fullness of God. And in fact, it was so impactful to him that he then, after writing that journal entry, he sewed it, um, as the story goes, he sewed it into his coat pocket so that he could wear it every day and keep it close to his heart um, the rest of his life. And here's here's what the entry said. It said, the year of grace, 1654, Monday, 23rd November, from about half past 10 at night until about half past midnight, fire fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and of the learned. Certitude, certitude, feeling, joy, peace, God of Jesus Christ, my God and your God, your God will be my God. Forgetfulness of the world and of everything except God. 
is only found by the ways taught in the gospel. Grandeur of the human soul. Righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. Joy, joy, joy. Tears of joy. As best as I can talk about it, that's what experiencing the fullness of God is like. So, there's another way to talk about this, though. How, how do, what are we aiming for here? What's something we can try and get our minds around if that's too abstract for you? Here's the way I'd say it. What we're asking God for is spiritual sensitivity to gospel truth. Spiritual sensitivity to gospel truth. So what does that mean? That means we can keep ourselves grounded in gospel truth. Remember, first half of the letter, the firm foundation of our faith, and then go to God with an open heart. Lord, today let me experience your power in my life. And when that happens, I think God will start to answer the last part of the prayer. I told you the sermon. Most of what I was going to say was just that verses 14 through 19. God transforming us by experiencing the power of the faith we profess. You often hear me refer to that as a gospel awakening. That's the common language I use right here all the time. That's what it is. It's what I believe. It's what our church believes that the Charlotte area needs is an awakening. But awakening always starts in the church. And this prayer starts to invite us, the church, into praying bigger prayers. Look at verse 20. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all we ask or think. According to what? The power that works in us. Do you believe that? This is really my job today. Just ask you if you believe. Do you believe that he can do more than you can even imagine him doing? That's crazy. Like you might have the, you might like, verbalize some of your prayers, but the really crazy ones that you only think he can do more than that. Do you believe it? Y'all, our view of God is revealed in the size of our prayers. I think about the God of Elijah who puts all the wood up on the altar at Mount Carmel, first Kings 18, if you want to read it. And he says, God, bring the fire because he believed that he could. I think of God parting the Red Sea any number, I mean, this is the Old Testament is just filled with reminders and reminders, New Testament as well, of God's power. And the same power that did all those things, the same spirit that brought Jesus out of the grave, that saved you from your sins, Christian, is now at work in you. Do you believe it? Do you really believe it? Do you believe God can heal your marriage? Do you believe God can save your child? He's run away. He's grown up now. He's run away from the faith. Do you believe that he can? Do you believe God can heal a sickness? I'm not saying we can manipulate God to do any of those. I'm just saying, do you believe that he is able? And that if he doesn't, it's not because he isn't able or isn't loving. It's because his ways are higher than our ways. I think the church, y'all, I think we are filled with power skeptics. A couple of reasons. It doesn't jive with a rational formula that we can understand. And secondly, I don't know that all of us want God to unleash his power in the church because we can't control it. And if he does, and I, I mean, hey, pastor talking first. If he does and I can't control it, I don't know what that means, what might happen. And I like to be able to control my life. So God, actually, I don't know that I want your power. And it might be our lack of desire and our need for control that's stopping the Lord from pouring out his power on us. But y'all, here's the deal. The power is already in us. He's able. 
And so this week, the truth of scripture convicted me a whole lot as I'm sitting here reading this to bring it to you. And so I come to you today with a lot of fresh hope that we believe God can bring an awakening here in the Bible Belt. Here in areas where, let's be real. I mean, I've been here, like I told you earlier, I've been in Charlotte eight years, been in the Bible Belt my whole life. Even in Charlotte, some of the largest church facilities I have ever seen. And yet, since 2016, in the Charlotte area, that's Mecklenburg County, Union County, and the other surrounding counties around Mecklenburg County, in that area, since 2016, so seven years, church attendance as a percentage of the population has dropped by 12%. That's several hundred thousand people. We are not gaining ground, but... Scripture tell us if the church is here, then the power of God is here. The power of God is here, which the wealth of the power of God that works in us is here. That's why you'll hear me talk about this whole region as like a dormant volcano of possibility for what God might do. It's just an immense, all this Christian subculture that's around in a bunch of sleepy Christianity. We're just praying, God, bring the fire. Wake him up and let's see what he might do. But I promise it starts in us. And it will only happen if it starts in us. Do we want God to move in us? Actually, don't let me edit that. It might happen, but do we really want to miss it? So God, please let it start in us. The gospel awakening in the community, church history says, always starts with an awakening in the church though. I will say, by the way, this is happening. Even here, I'm going to give you some hope. It's happening. Some of you here today, you're not a Christian. I heard a story this week about a, somebody invited a friend to church because another friend was getting baptized. Uh, so it was their first time ever in a church when they came. And by the way, we're so honored by that, if that's you today, and it's your first time ever in church, we just want to stop and say thank you for trusting us, us, us enough to come in here and sit. We're honored by that. And maybe just a Word of encouragement, it's almost over, okay? We're about done with our service for today. You've done great. Good job. We're glad you're here. Man, we've just been seeing it. God's been saving people. I mean, just heard some really fun stories of um, God saving people through your friends, your family that you've come and told me through the ministries here at our church. It's awesome. And it's not only that, though. I've seen him wake up a lot of believers, too, that are... People that have been walking with Jesus for a long time that are saying, you know what, what's my next step? I don't want, I've got a buddy who's um, in his 70s and he's like, man, I do not ever want my greatest days of faith to be behind me. I always want my greatest days of faith to be ahead of me. Because, and, and he's seen God do some things. He's man, everything I've seen God do, and he'll, he'll rattle off some awesome things. That, that to me is a promise that God is going to do even greater things if I trust him with this. And he's like, my, for him, he said his whole thing is just, I just haven't been praying big enough prayers. That's all, that's all it was. God has so much more to do. Do we believe that he can do more than we can ask or imagine? And then he finally, he invites us to pray this awesome prayer for God to get glory in our day in a way that resounds to future generations. Look, it's almost like, I don't even want to preach this. I just want you to, your heart, to rest on it, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. May our children and their children believe 
and walk in God's power because of how he moved in our day. Do you believe that? Do you want that? God, let us experience your power. And let us look no further back. In fact, the way we're going to transition and respond to the sermon today is going to be we're going to take communion. You know why? Because the greatest display, most important display of God's power is when the Son of God came to earth, lived a sinless life, and then went up, died for our sins, paid for our sins, and then he rose up out of the grave, giving us new life. So when I ask for God's power, first I look back and say, I need no further assurance that God is powerful and his power is directed towards me than the death and resurrection of Christ. And that's where I'm staking all of my hope and all of my security. Regardless of what he does in this circumstance or that, my power comes from Jesus is alive and he's with me and I'm with him. Let me pray for you. I want to transition our teams at Northeast Union County. Our teams are going to lead you through communion. I'll do that here. Let me pray to close our time and lead you in a little bit of a, a prayer. If you would, get into a posture of prayer, just bow your head. And I want to invite you just to put before God the area of your life, the thing in your life that you need his power for. Maybe it's something new that's just knocked you sideways this week. Maybe it's something old and you're like, Man, I've been praying this too long. I, I feel like I've been praying this prayer and I just haven't seen God answer and you're honestly a little tired, maybe frustrated at God. Just give that back to him and remember, he is able. He is able. It's not because he doesn't love you or that he isn't able. His ways are higher than our ways, but you still trust him and kneel before your father. Would you thank him for the miracle, if you're a Christian, for the miracle of your salvation? If you're not a Christian, would you receive the offer of salvation? It's as simple as praying, God, I, I want that power. I want that new life. I know that I am a sinner. God, I, I'm a sinner and I need saving from my sin. I need forgiveness. And that only comes for what Jesus did for me. I believe he died on the cross for me. I believe he rose again. I received that forgiveness, his payment for me. I received new life, his resurrection for me. Father, thank you that the spirit that brought Christ out of the grave is at work in us. Thank you that that power is available to us. Would we walk rooted and firmly established in your love? Would it be deep on our hearts and minds? And Father, would you let us experience your power? We open our hearts and our hands. Do your thing, Father. We praise you in Christ's holy name. Amen.